Come see the new quiz show, Go Fact Yourself, with special guests Andy Richter and Fresh Air's Tanya Mosley. It's March 23rd at the Crawford. Get your tickets at las.com slash events. Welcome to Film Week on KPCC. I'm Larry Mantle. Great to have you with us. We're joined this week by critics Wade Major of Synagogues.com and Tim Cogshell, his colleague at Synagogues, and also with Alt Film Guide. We begin with the film Close. The Belgian movie is Oscar-nominated in the Best International Film category, the film directed by Lucas Daunt, who also co-wrote the screenplay. Tim, please start us on Close. Yeah, 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 yeah. A very, very popular film that I appreciate more than I actually like, loosely guided, inspired by this book called The Deep Secrets of Boys, Friendships, uh, Crisis and Connection, which is about boys and the friendships that they form when they're very, very young. The boys in this film, uh, uh, the film is not about the book, but the boys in this film are 13 years old. And they live in this sort of uh, rural, suburban, Belgian uh, farming town. And they have this very, very, very close friendship. It's beautifully captured uh, by the director. These these little boys running through these fields where everybody's picking flowers and they go to school and they hang out and they play soccer. Uh, and, and, and they plainly have this very intimate relationship. One boy hangs out at the other boy's house all the time. Now, uh, without giving anything thing away, we end up in a situation where only, uh, only one of the boys are left in the film. And we watch very closely as we see this boy deal with um, uh, uh, being lonely now that he has lost this extremely intimate relationship and feeling somewhat responsible for what happened in the relationship. This movie has, oh, things in common with Moonlight, I suppose perhaps some things in common, even with "Call Me by Your Name." Uh, the, the, the young boys are plainly are plainly are plainly gay and, and, and sort of dealing with that that as they as they come along. Um, to to me, if the film just dealt with that and it didn't take the dramatic license with what actually happens in the film, which I'm not going to give away, it would be a much more interesting film because I think it would be much more true. Um, because it does go where it goes, it heightens the dramatic tension in a way that I think is just less authentic than it ought to be. Close is the film we're talking about from Belgium. What did you think, Wade? Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with that. I, I I do respect it more than I like it. Uh, you know, Lucas Daunt, the director, who's kind of one of the, he's 31, he's kind of one of the hot up-and-coming European talents, and he is very talented. I mean, the performances are beautiful, and the filmmaking is very good. He's clearly inspired by the Dardenne brothers, who you know have who are also Belgian paved the way for that particular kind of Franco-Belgian filmmaking, very neo-realistic and and very naturalistic. Um, but it 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 is a it is a contrived premise that I just can't get past. You know, I I don't think I, I'm going to disagree a little bit. I don't think that it suggests that these boys are gay and dealing with some kind of of latent homosexuality. I think it it wants you to wonder. Well, maybe they're just really, really close friends. Maybe it's an unusual friendship. You know, it tries to sort of pull those strings. And the thing is, from the very beginning, uh, I'm watching this and I'm thinking, I've lived in Europe. There are no two boys and there is no friendship like this anywhere on planet Earth. He has fabricated a, a completely unnatural relationship and completely unnatural characters purely to try to force a dramatic contrivance. And and I couldn't I could not believe that any of this was real. It was it felt filmmaker manufactured to me, and it's sad because he actually could have created something that would have worked for me. But it, it, in this case, it just I felt the filmmaker 
just keeping his arms a little bit too tightly around the material. Yeah, and Tim, you see it similarly. Oh well, yeah, I, like literally. I think we're actually we're actually agreeing. I mean, I, I did intimate that thing about a possible home, but yes, that's what's going on here. There's a thing that this filmmaker wants to say, and he's going to say it through these kids, no matter what. And and you feel that oh, as, yeah. as a viewer of it. Close yeah. is the film from filmmaker Lucas Dant, who co-wrote the screenplay. Uh, the film's rated PG-13. It's in French, Flemish, and Dutch with English subtitles. Winner of the Grand Jury Prize at Cannes and nominated for Best International Film uh, for the Oscars. Uh, the film can be seen at AMC's The Grove and AMC's Century City Theatres. The romantic comedy You People stars Jonah Hill and Lauren London. The film's directed by Kenya Barris, who co-wrote it with Jonah Hill. Wade, what'd you think of You People? I laughed. I just watched this last night. I, I got to it just the day before film week. I, I have not laughed this hard in years. Since pre-pandemic, Wow. I needed these laughs. I think everyone needs these laughs. You know, this is, this is Kenya Barris at his just cutting best. He's taken... Every difficult conversation about race and religion that no one has wanted to have for a very long time, especially the last two years, and he just rams it into a full-throated comedy, and he just lets this, he lets the cast just go all the way with it. What he and Jonah Hill have written is hilarious. So the premise is kind of like, uh, uh, guess, guess who's coming to dinner for it's this generation? Like, yeah. Yes. So Jonah, Jonah Hill is Jewish, but, you know, kind of not Jewish enough for his family. And Lauren London is, you know, she, she comes from a black Muslim family, but she's, you know, she's, she's a little bit more progressive. And she'll, she, they meet cute. They wind up dating. They decide they're going to get married. But their families are a problem. And Eddie Murphy and Neil Long are her parents, and David Duchovny and Julia Louis-Dreyfus are, are oh, his parents. Yes. And, <laughs> you know, it, it just, where it goes is so cathartic, and it is so wonderful, and I'm almost inclined to say, I'm going to overreach here, that this made to, if more enough people see this, this could do more for race relations <laughs> than anything in this country since the Civil uh, Rights Act. Uh, you people is the romantic comedy. Tim, what do you think? It, it's, it's, it's jungle fever meets, look who's coming to dinner, meets, meet the parents, meet, meet the flockers, and then they all go to the barbershop. <laughs> Literally, they go to the barbershop. And, 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 and every conversation that's ever been had in any one of those films is had in this movie. All the stuff that folks sit around. Here's the thing. Um, Jonah Hill and Kenya Berry. So, like, this is Jonah uh, and the symbol and as opposed to and. If you see uh, with the writer's skills, they put and, A, and D. That means that the two writers wrote separately. I wrote something, and then you wrote something. But when you see that, that, that and the symbol, and, it yeah. means that they wrote it together. That Jonah and Kenya were sitting across from each other writing jokes. You say something. I say something. If you said oh, this, what would so I say? Good. I'd say that. And I really would say that. And that's what the characters in this film say. They say the things that people actually... Eddie Murphy is playing this so straight. Oh, so So straight. straight. And he is hysterical. <laughs> Just hysterical. Anyway, it's a, it's it's so funny, and I don't know if it'll change race relations, but it, it oh, made me laugh. You know, D David Duchovny has may maybe a dozen lines in this thing, but every single one of them drops like just a gold brick. It and it's it's I've never seen Duchovny be this. Oh, funny. And, he, and he's making all these stupid faces. I'm sorry, he's funny. He yeah, is we think really of him, funny. He is just From a funny. Yes, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He's just so funny.
We're talking about the romantic comedy, You People, Jonah Hill and Lauren London, and a great cast supporting them. Kenya Barris directed and co-wrote it with Jonah Hill. It's rated R. Uh, you can see it streaming on Netflix or in theaters at the IPIC in Westwood and the Harkins Theater in Cerritos. The documentary Pamela, A Love Story, tells the story of Pamela Anderson's life. Ryan White directed the doc. Tim. Yeah, yeah, Ryan White. Good night, Oppie, and a few other things uh, from Ryan. This is this is present day Pamela Anderson uh, all over this movie, kind of sitting there in this sort of flowing white uh, gown-like thing with no makeup on, uh, roaming around her, her little farm with her mom in Canada. And the film is about her, and she's in it a lot. She's in control. And, and, and she's very forthcoming, and she tells us a lot of stuff. There's a whole lot of, I didn't know that in this film, but she is in control here. And we learned from the film that that hasn't been true for most of her life, for a good chunk of her life. And right now, she has this book coming out, and of course, this is on the heels of that series uh, that was out there. And much of this is about her getting out in front of, or uh, all of that. Responding and, to the dramatic series, and, right? And, and telling it her way. And I appreciate all of that, but you have to remember that she's in control. And she's telling it her way. And she does go into a great movie. A lot of footage of her uh, as, a, as a young girl all the way back in Canada. Her father was an alcoholic. She was uh, molested as a, very, as a very young child. All kinds of, I did not know that. It's about Pamela. Pamela Anderson is a consequential figure in, in the cultural zeitgeist of America the last 30 years. She absolutely is. We can you know, make fun of it if you want to. But she's a, she's a consequential figure. And, uh, and, and I, I think this movie sort of tells us why. Wait, what do you think of Pamela, a love story? I, I liked it. I, I didn't feel that it was comprehensive, though. I mean, what I like about it, and, and Tim's right, she is a consequential figure. She is probably quite literally the last pinup and maybe the last pinup of all time. I mean, you can go all the way back to Betty Grable, and, and you know, she she's in that tradition, uh, Farrah Fawcett, you know, the, 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 the poster girls. We don't really have that anymore. That's disappeared from the culture. And in, in the Internet era and the Me Too era, you know, there, there's a lot going on that just makes that obsolete. Maybe it'll come back in some kind of, you know, cultural uh, 180. But if for now, it's a terminal point. So she does represent a turning point in the culture. But, I, I, you know, it, it's what's troubling to me is that they they do let her control this documentary. They went, they interviewed her. She is as forthcoming as she can be. She talks about reclaiming my sexuality and all of this and, you know, being in control. But it does seem to me that she's still not really in control, That they're, that she is still chasing her her dream she's still chasing her grail she's still trying to recapture something that she thinks that she lost when she was when she was raped as a, as a young girl which is a horribly tragic thing when she recounts it but i i do feel like we're not getting deep enough and uh it shows you where they can go but it just doesn't go there we're talking about Pamela, a love story, the uh, biographical documentary on Pamela Anderson, Ryan White, the director. It's rated TVMA, and it's streaming on Netflix starting next Tuesday. The documentary that takes us to Vietnam, Children of the Mist, is directed by Hale Diem, uh, and the film is unrated. Wade? It's a very, very good documentary. Uh, Here also, though, I I kind of wanted a little more. I'm just not sure that they could have given us more. You know, we we know so little, for the most part, as Americans, about the the Hmong people in in Vietnam. We know that a lot of them worked with, you know, American soldiers. They had to flee. There was a huge refugee uh, exodus of them. And mostly what people know is from the Clint Eastwood film, (laughs) Gran Torino. 
uh, where that he really kind of lets he cast non-actors from that community and and let them sort of represent themselves and and that was for a lot of us was the first initiation into wow this is this really interesting kind of uh, small ethnic group from Vietnam that lived on the margins and has all of these additional issues and so what we what we have here they dive right into the those who still exist and still live in the mountains of Vietnam where child weddings are a thing and you know a lot of these sort of arcane tribal practices have not been wiped out because they do live so separate and so apart from the rest of the culture and this 12-year-old girl wants no part of it she wants to be a modern girl she wants to you know grow up she wants to say whether or not she gets married and at what age and so you you get into this culture clash which is really really interesting and it's very compelling and it's fly on the wall stuff it's really really intimate fly on the wall stuff but at no point does it really ever tell us who are these people and what sets them apart and i kind of felt like it needed that to go the extra level we have a significant Hmong community in long beach here in southern yes. california's mm-hmm. yeah. as well tim what did you think of children of the mist yeah the, the film is about the thing itself generally speaking around the age of 14 these young girls are married off uh, these sort of uh, uh, they call these bride kidnapping things and uh money is paid and uh, commitments are made and and the older women uh of the community are all for it and some and, and very often these young girls are forced into it. We're at a generation now, and that's what this film is about, this generation, uh, which has decided we are not doing this anymore. Uh, her older sister uh, you know, went along with it, and, and it was just, but she's a, she's 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 a big solid no on this. It's it's difficult though to be ex- because you can get very judgmental about these things. Fourteen year old girls being married off. It isn't that long ago in America before we get on our high, high horses here that girls fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen uh, were getting married very ordinary, nearly in the United States of America. That hasn't been that long ago. My mother was married when she was sixteen. So so I uh, while I understand that this is problematic and, and these young girls need to have their own agency. I don't want us to get all up on our high horses uh, because, you know, um, uh, don't be so judgmental. All right. The film is Children of the Mist, the documentary uh, that's in Vietnam. It's unrated. It's in Hmong and Vietnamese with English subtitles. It was shortlisted uh, under the documentary category for the Academy Awards, but was not one of the five uh, ultimate nominees. Children of the Mist uh, is uh, at uh, Lemley's Claremont, as well as their Glendale and Monica Film Center. Uh, It'll be uh, starting there next Tuesday, the 3rd. It's Film Week on KPCC. I'm joined by critics Tim Cogshell and Wade Major. And Tim and Wade, along with all of our other critics, are going to be on stage at the historic Orpheum Theater on Broadway in downtown Los Angeles coming up Sunday afternoon, March 5th, for our 21st annual, that's right, 21st annual Film Week Academy Awards preview. Our critics are going to tell us all about the Oscar nominees in the major categories. We'll watch clips of the Best Picture nominees. It'll be a great time. If you've never been to our Oscar preview, make this your year when you come and join us. Tickets are available at las.com slash events Sunday afternoon, March 5th, exactly a week before the Oscars are handed out. Join us for the Academy Awards preview. Back in a minute. Imagine if you could charge your electric vehicle at the places you already love to eat, shop, and play. Whether you're at the movies, on your weekly grocery trip, or running errands at your local mall, Volta EV charging stations are built around your day-to-day and located in your community and nationwide. All you have to do 
It's check-in, plug-in, and go about your day. It's EV charging made convenient. Download the Volta app to find your new favorite place to charge. It's Film Week. I'm Larry Mantle with critics Wade Major and Tim Cogshell. It's a week for a number of documentaries, and next up is The Quiet Epidemic, directed by Winslow Crane Murdoch and Lindsay Keyes. Uh, it's about chronic Lyme disease. Tim, what do you think of The Quiet Epidemic? Well, it's a very important film, and it's about whether or not there is such a thing as chronic Lyme disease. There's Lyme disease. People yeah. get Lyme disease, ticks, all that kind of kind of thing. Uh, it was a big thing when I was growing up in the, in the Midwest. Chronic Lyme disease, there is a debate, however, as to whether or not that actually exists. And it's um, sort of like chronic fatigue syndrome some years ago. These people who... Still have, is now. Chronic is. fatigue is still something that people who, who suffer from it uh, feel they can't get people to take it seriously. And we are in the exact same situation here. And, and, and what we have are a, a few families, particularly this father with his young daughter, 15 years old, who was bitten by a tick when she was nine years old and started to go downhill and hill from there. Uh, we have a doctor... Uh, who also uh, finds himself feeling as though he has chronic Lyme disease. And then we have all of these people on the other side, most of whom are not in this film except by um, uh, videotape, but they're not actually interviewed for the film, the folks on the other side. So I appreciate that the filmmakers tried to bring them in, but they didn't want to participate. Um, so the folks that we have uh, advocating here are journalists and, and, and the other folks that I told you about. They're all pro-believing uh, in this thing called chronic Lyme disease and ways, and ways to treat it. Um, I wish that some of the folks from the other side would have participated in the film. But as it is, uh, this is what we have. All right, we're talking about the quiet epidemic, Wade. Yeah, I, 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 you know, every time we kind of get into these these films on this show, I talk about advocacy cinema and how I, you know, I always I wish that they they balanced it and gave us both sides. And and these filmmakers really did try to do that. It's and they and they. It's not a case where it was clear that they were coming with a bias, and and those who opted not to be interviewed just chose not to do it. No, this is this is very even-handed. They really are performing very good investigative journalism. They're after the story, and they're trying to get to the truth. And uh, so it's a little bit damning that that uh, those who are are uh, who say there is no such thing as chronic Lyme disease declined without exception to be interviewed for this film. So the, that's very troubling. Well, I, I was just going to interject, Wade. One of the reasons could be that so often, as you were saying, documentaries are not even-handed. They do stack the deck. They do. And, they, and so the skeptics of chronic Lyme disease might not have trusted the filmmakers. They might not have, but it's fascinating that it's, it's 100% of them wouldn't go on the record. And, I, you know, when you see who they are, you realize that there are all kinds of other vested interests attached to them. There's no one out there who is just sort of in a position saying, well, there's no such thing, and I just have a position. They are attached to medical clinics. They are attached to pharmaceutical companies, they're attached to government agencies. There are all of these interests that hang on what they may or may not say. And that's where this gets really, really interesting. The father with the with the daughter who who is just so devastated by this, this family, I mean, their story is just crippling. Uh, th- it, it, he records a conversation that he had with someone from the CDC. And it's not a pretty conversation. The CDC is is really trying to talk him down from being so public about his claims because it's making them look bad. And at one point, the woman from the CDC even says, you know, I didn't make this call to be yelled at. 
And he says I, that you have nothing to say to me. There's nothing that I, you can say to me that, that, that will in any way help my life. I know why you're calling, and it's all self-serving. You're calling to help you, not to help me. And where that story goes ultimately is, is very touching and very affirming because there are revelations that come out in the film, too. Uh, how, it, how it compares to COVID is also a very interesting thing. You know, Lyme disease is bacterial, not viral. But there are certain areas in which the way it was treated, you know, there was a vaccine for Lyme disease that was so that was had such horrible side effects that they pulled it from the market. Hasn't been one for decades. What is it like 20 mm-hmm. years, Tim, like mm-hmm. 20 years. And they're hoping for more, you know, more uh, treatments soon. So, I mean, a lot of that will will get tied up in the COVID conversation. People are going to say, well, what about this and that? Even though it is apples and oranges. You know, it's going to make people draw some some analogies. The Quiet Epidemic is the documentary about chronic Lyme disease. It's unrated. It's at Lemley's Monica Film Center in Santa Monica. Shotgun Wedding, a romantic uh, comedy action film with Jennifer Lopez, Josh Dumel, Jennifer Coolidge, Lenny Kravitz, Sonia Braga, Cheech Marin. Boy, what a cast. Uh, Jason Moore, the director, Mark Hammer, the screenwriter. Wait, what did you think of Shotgun? Shotgun wedding. There, you know, with when Jennifer Lopez made her big comeback recently, we were all watching that and thinking she's such a good actress. Why did we ever kind of give up on her career to begin with? This reminded me why. Because she was making some of the poorest choices imaginable. It's not a bad film, but it's a film that kind of belongs to about 1996, maybe. <laughs> 1986. You know, sort of maybe 1986. <laughs> it, you know, she and Josh Duhamel are getting married. You know, Lenny Kravitz is very funny as her ex, the one who's very intimidating to Josh Duhamel. Uh, and uh, then for some reason, their, their wedding in the Philippines is hijacked by terrorists. I... <laughs> And then, it, and then it kind of turns into this romancing the stone sort of thing. I, I just, I, you know, the only thing that's re- that I really enjoyed about this is how shockingly, gorgeously, amazingly ageless. Nothing else about this movie matters. Everything you just said is completely <laughs> irrelevant. Who cares? I, this, this, this movie's terrible. I do not care at all. Jennifer Lopez is extraordinary outlandish with just how fine she is and she makes she just there's a scene in this movie oh my gosh (laughs) we know i'm not i'm not even gonna and but she does it on purpose and i'm like jennifer jennifer but she's like look i can't help it it's just the way this is this movie beat for beat duplicates sandra bullock had a movie called lost city yeah uh, i remember that yeah it's literally the same movie they might be in the exact same place on an island. The wedding goes right <laughs> instead of instead of uh, Brad Pitt, it's Lenny Kravitz. But it's the same movie, almost exactly. It's terrible, except that it's really funny. Cheech and Jennifer Coolidge, they just—I mean, it's just dumb. And I don't even know how it ends. What happens? <laughs> don't tell uh, us. I don't, I don't, I don't, You'll spoil it. For I don't us. remember how it ends at all, but I do remember that scene with Jennifer. <laughs> Shotgun <laughs> Wedding, a romantic action comedy. Uh, it's directed by Jason Moore, rated R, streaming on Amazon Prime Video. Infinity Pool from writer-director Brandon Cronenberg, uh, and he's, of course, second generation of filmmaker. Alexander Skarsgård stars with Mia Goth and Cleopatra Coleman. Infinity Pool. Tim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say something about the apple not falling far from the tree, but this apple might actually still be on the tree. He, he, he makes all the exact same creepy, gory, nasty movies that his daddy made, uh, only he does them his way. He made one called Possessor that I talked about on the show not too terribly long ago that happened to star, it was pretty good, happened to star Andrea Riseborough. 
uh, uh, who you know just got nominated. Just for nominated for best actress. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so so that and then this. So this is about these people who go to this sort of unnamed uh, island paradise in this nation. This is a terrible nation where the laws are draconian and the people are all criminals. But there's this resort behind which rich people can go and have a really really lovely time. But don't go outside the resort. If something happens, you're going to be in trouble. I'm sure they'll be safe. Yeah, well, yeah. they go outside and something happens. In trouble. But this is what the rich people can do. If you go out there and something happens, you can have a duplicate made of yourself, and your duplicate can pay, pay for the crime uh, of whatever you did. Uh, Stars guard, he kills a kid, accident in a car. He gets a duplicate made of himself. Here's what happens, though. Your duplicate is going to be executed, and you have to watch. You have to watch. And then what comes from all of that? It, you know, it's creepy. It's gory. It's nasty. It wants to say something about society. Yeah, I was uh, wondering what the allegory it, is. It, that... it, it's trying. It's trying. It doesn't get there. It's just it's just creepy and, 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 and gory and nasty, just like Daddy's films. So good boy. All right. Uh, the son of David Cronenberg, Brandon Cronenberg, writer-director of Infinity Pool. The film's rated R. It's in wide release. Uh, the French romantic thriller Compromat. Uh, is directed by Jérôme Salle, uh, and he co-wrote the screenplay. Wade, what'd you think of Compromat? I thought it was terrific. I think this is a, and, and it's a true story, too. I mean, it has that Jean le Carré uh, veneer to it, so it's very easy to think, oh, they cooked this up, you know, in the in the, the Ukraine-Putin war era, you know, let's kind of tell this story. But this is this actually happened. So in, in 2017, there was a, a French um, diplomat named Yuan Barbaro who actually was arrested. He was doing cultural exchange stuff in, in Russia, and he was arrested because the message apparently was not uh, was not appreciated by the intelligence agencies, the FSB, the new KGB, and he was arrested and uh, sentenced in a, to fifteen years of hard labor. But he escaped because he he realized I'm not I you know I have an opportunity I'm not gonna you know and and the story of his escape is this story. It's a little bit fictionalized. Gilles Lelouch is uh, you know we can call him the French Liam Neeson a little bit. He has that quality that really uh, that intensity but that vulnerability at the same time. Uh, but the beats of what happens here, how this otherwise well-meaning diplomat uh, is suddenly arrested, accused of molesting his daughter on totally trumped-up charges, how the FSB has pulled all the strings to, to uh, you know, put, the, put the screws to him, and how he actually manages to escape from Russia is really amazing, and it actually happened. Mm -hmm. We're talking about the romantic thriller Compromat, uh, the film, again, directed by Jerome Sal Tim. Yeah, it, it, again, cultural things going on. He The, the program that he puts on uh, has uh, homoerotic overtones to it. And one of the oligarchs whom he had uh, recruited to help him put on this program, you know, did not know that that was going to be in the ballet and, and did not care for that. And he is the one that manipulates this whole situation. He gets charged with all of these things. And then uh, he has to make a run for it. He has to try to see how he can get. What's interesting, though, is this is not about taking down Russia per se, Russia, horrible place, Russia. Everybody that helps him in this film is Russian. They're, they're, they're all saying, hey, man, <laughs> you better get the hell out of here. This is, this is what so this isn't about that. This is about the system and those who are in control and in power in the system. But it's not about the people themselves, and I appreciate that about the film. It, it, and I will say this, too. It's fascinating how it humanizes characters that we would otherwise be, might otherwise be turned into these two-dimensional villains. There is an FSB chief here 
who is hard and he's you know he looks like a Bond villain. He looks like a, <laughs> like one of those Russians that we had as bad guys in the seventies. But they humanize him at a certain point because his son and his daughter-in-law factor into this. There's a fa- interesting family dynamic here, and and there's a moment where you almost feel sorry for this guy because you feel like he's a victim of circumstance as much as Gilles Lelouch's character is. So it, it it gets a lot more nuanced than you would normally get in a very two-dimensional spy thriller. Mm. The film again, the French romantic thriller Compromat. Uh, the film stars Gilles Lelouch, Joanna Coolig. Uh, the film is unrated. It's in French and Russian with English subtitles, and you can see it at Lemley's Glendale Theater. It's also available on demand. The Man in the Basement is a French thriller that stars Francois Clouzet. The film's directed by Philippe Legay and uh, is written by Mark Weitzman. The Man in the Basement, Tim. The Man in the Basement, very interesting. So we have this this, this family, this lovely little French family, husband, uh, uh, a wife, and their teenage daughter, and they live in this lovely apartment building, and they and they own this cellar, a basement, a cellar, right? Apparently in French, and Wade will know more about this than me because he lived there, you can sell your cellar, your basement, as, as a piece of property. Literally sell it, not rent it, but sell it. Wow. Uh, they, they, and, and they do. They sell it to this, to this older gentleman who, uh, who needs some storage space, and, and, and they come to find out that he isn't who he says he is. One thing that happens is he starts living in that cellar. Uh, and, and they, and so he, he goes and he, he finds out that this guy got fired from his teaching job as a history teacher because he's a Holocaust denier. Uh, and he's involved with a whole bunch of Holocaust deniers. And, of course, they, this is a Jewish family. And they don't want the Holocaust denier living in their cellar, but they sold it to him. So there's a situation here that involves a courtroom drama of sorts, them trying to, to wrest their property back. But the old man starts to talk to their young teenage daughter, and he starts to get in her head. And this drives the father insane. So The Man in the Basement becomes a a, a thriller about that, but it also becomes about that thing, that Holocaust denial, and how easily that can be insinuated into somebody's mind. Well, The Man in the Basement, uh, in French with English subtitles, it's unrated. It's at Lemley's Royal at their town center in Encino and in Aliso Viejo at the Regal Theater, The Man in the Basement. The romantic comedy Life Upside Down is written and directed by Cecilia Miniucci. Uh, The film stars Bob Odenkirk, Danny Houston, Rada Mitchell, uh, Tim, what do you think of Life Upside Down? Well, this is one of those films made during uh, the early days of COVID, using COVID uh, as as a theme. So everybody's shooting wherever they're shooting on on uh, on, on iPhones and all that kind of stuff, and, and people are having affairs, and it's mostly on these cameras. And look, these things are going to peter out soon. I think this might be close to one of the last ones, and that'll be good. All right. Life Upside Down, romantic comedy, unrated Limley's Monica Film Center in Santa Monica. Wade, do you have a quick word on the documentary, The Mission, about uh, Latter-day Saints missionaries in Europe? Yeah, just a little bit, and I'm not, you know, I can't be objective here because that was my life 38 years ago. Uh, but it, it, uh, it, it's, it's destigmatizing, but it's not illuminating. There are sidebars to this story. You know, one of the one of the sister missionaries has has a gay brother. Uh, one of the elder missionaries is, is, suffers from mental illness, and those stories are not sufficiently explored. And I, I felt that was a that was a shortcoming. The mission is unrated, and it's available on demand. Directed and written by Tanya Anderson. All right, coming up, I'll be talking with our John Horn just back from the Sundance Film Festival.
At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. It's Film Week on KPCC. I'm Larry Mantle. So happy to be joined by our John Horn, who's recently back from the Sundance Film Festival. John, great to have you with us. Of course, you're doing interviews for your podcast, Retake, and some that'll probably show up here on Film Week as well. But today we get to talk with you. How was Sundance this year? Was was pretty much everybody back in person? Yeah, this is the first time the festival has been in person. It was virtual the last two years, so I hadn't been in since 2020, and nobody else had. Um Everybody seemed to be back. You couldn't find a parking space, uh, which is the usual <laughs> joke about Park City. There's no place to park. Uh, long lines into most of the movies. I was able to see everything I wanted to. Um, but yeah, it felt like uh, nothing had changed. But everything has, but every, of course. Every Everything had. Let's talk about some of the movies that you had a chance to see, uh, beginning with Shortcomings from director Randall Park. Shortcomings is a really interesting film because it starts with what looks like a scene from Crazy Rich Asians. And the lead character in the film spent the next five minutes talking about why he hates movies like Crazy Rich Asians. Uh, this is uh, written and directed by Randall. I'm sorry, directed by Randall Park, uh, based on a graphic novel of the same name. Um, it's a movie we don't typically see. And I, I spoke with Randall, and he, I think, sums up very clearly why it's different. To me, it is deeply an Asian-American story, but it doesn't have any of those, those markers of what an Asian-American story usually has, whether it be like a story centered on intergenerational conflict or... Uh, um, you know, going back to the motherland to find oneself or achieving the American dream, you know. And those stories are, are all great and important to me. And uh, I see myself in those stories. But this is really just hanging out in diners and restaurants and walking and talking and and arguing. And, you know, it's it's those things that I actually do every day, you know. <laughs> There's no scene of a grandmother uh, making dumplings. And also, this is true of a couple other films. This is a story about a romance. It doesn't have what I'll call a Hollywood ending. So it does feel very true to life. But again, it is characters who happen to be Asian going through these things. They're not defined by their ethnicity. And I thought it was a really good movie. Uh, it give you a good sense of the Bay Area, also good sense of place. I'll tell you how good it was. Uh, it's set in Berkeley mostly. And I s- said to Randall Park, I went to school in Berkeley. I said, I think I've been in that house where you shot the party scene. He goes, that was in New York. (laughs) I said, well, then you did a really good job. So, yes, it has a great sense. Berkeley fooled me. Shortcomings uh, that was screened at Sundance. And any word, uh, John, about whether we'll get a chance to see that? We will get a chance to see it. There are a number of movies that are up for acquisition. A lot of films go to Sundance without a distributor in place. Uh, A number of movies have been sold. It evolves slowly. Even if there's a big sale, you don't know exactly when the movie's going to come out. So 
shortcomings will be seen. Okay, and I think good. it will be seen in theaters, which is oh. no small feat for yeah. a movie coming out. Of well, I would bet many of these films we're talking about will have a chance to see them, but only if we're subscribed to a streaming service or like forty streaming services, because there's some <laughs> movies well, yeah, that were picked up. Yeah. There's some movies that are picked up by streamers that I have to say I've never heard of, but that doesn't mean I can't find them when the movies come out. So another film, uh, Fair Play, written and directed by Chloe Dumont. Um, and it's a dramatic thriller. What's it about? Well, imagine you're a woman who works at a law firm. This happens to be set at a hedge fund. I'm, this is a real world example, and it's a bunch of guys, and they're be, being guys. They're you know being bros and maybe telling off collar jokes. And you have a choice as a woman. You can either laugh and kind of go along and swallow some part of your soul. Or you can be quiet and rebel and see if you're going to get any work from that firm. So that this is a story like that set in the world of high finance and a hedge fund. It's about a couple. They're not openly out as a couple because of fraternization rules. They both work at a hedge fund, both pretty successful. But she gets promoted. He doesn't. And bad things ensue. Uh, Chloe DeMont is the writer-director. It's her first feature, incredibly assured. But she talked about how the things in her own life kind of inspired this fictional story. I think that the reason why I wrote the story is because of how personal this was. And, you know, what what women kind of have to do to, to fight their way to the top you know, or to fight their way just through their daily job. I think that women have to inflate themselves uh, to uh, survive in that kind of masculine environment and have to play more of like an alpha, lean into the alpha side to earn the respect of those kinds of men. Uh, They have to push down their femininity. Um, And so what I was interested in telling the story is that you, a woman who has to inflate herself in that way during the day to survive at work and then deflate herself at night to survive at home. Fair Play is the film we're talking about. Yeah, it's a really good film. Netflix bought this movie for $20 million, which is a huge purchase. Um, I think it's a really fascinating film. And the more the woman in this couple uh, succeeds, the more resentful her boyfriend uh, becomes. And he then starts to assume the worst things about her, that she must have slept her way to this job or flirted with the guys rather than just being competent at her job. So the very things that he loves about her, her ambition, her smarts, um, the fact that she's by social uh, definitions, attractive, become the things that he hates about her. It's a fascinating movie. Wow. Fair Play stars uh, Phoebe uh, Divinor and Eddie Marzen. Uh, and again, we'll be able to see that ultimately on Netflix. Drift is set on a Greek island. Cynthia Erivo, Aaliyah Shawkat star, Anthony Chen is the director. Tell us about Drift. Drift is a very quiet film. It's a kind of a classic Sundance film. It doesn't have what you would call a tremendous amount of narrative. Uh, Cynthia Revio uh, plays a character who has escaped uh, horrible civil war violence in Liberia. And we find out about that in Drips and Drags af- as the story unfolds. There's fla- flashbacks to, you know, her past life. And Aaliyah Shawkat plays a tour guide who befriends her. You know, again, there's no happy ending to this story, but it's about uh, what it means to be somebody who has survived a civil war and has left her country, not because she wants to, like many immigrants, but because she has to. Um, It's a very well-made film, and Cynthia Erivo is both a tremendous actor and just owns this part. It's one of those movies where you watch it and you don't doubt that it's actually a real character. Um, It's beautifully made um, and 
provocative in, in a good way, but also very difficult to watch because it deals with horrible oh, uh, violence and sexual violence that was committed um, in in real life in Liberia during its civil wars. Drift uh, is written by Suzanne Farrell and Alexander Maxick. Uh, and that, uh, again, film with Sundance, which we're talking about with John Horn, who's host of the podcast Retake Just Back from Park City, Utah. Radical um, stars Eugenio Derbez. The film's written and directed by Christopher Zaya. Uh, it's uh, a Mexican uh, drama. What do you think of Radical, John? I thought it was really good. This is a movie that you've probably seen before in different tellings. The stand and deliver, you know, uh, Mr. Holland's opus, the teacher who comes into a classroom and works miracles. Um, but this has a kind of a Sundance uh, feel to it. It's a Spanish language film. It's set in Mexico. It deals with with um, drug violence and people who are either, you know, or who are children who are tempted or have or pressured to become part of a, a drugs gang and they have to decide whether or not they're going to stay in school or do that. It feels very grounded in reality. And it also has a very, very good lead performance by Eugenio uh, as the teacher. Um, this is another movie. I mean, a lot of these films, they're going to come out when they're going to come out. I don't know, but uh, put a pin in it, radical drift, uh, fair play, and uh, shortcomings. Put a pin in those at, at home, and when you hear about them, say, I heard about that movie. i got to go see it now. And apparently Radical is based on a on an article that was yep. written about this, uh, this person, again, in Spanish. We're going to continue with uh, John Horn as he tells us about the Sundance Film Festival. John, we got like 45 seconds, but just let's start on Magazine Dreams, the sports drama. Magazine Dreams is a story about a weightlifter. Uh, it's played by Jonathan Majors. You're going to be hearing a lot about Jonathan Majors in the uh, months and years ahead. He's an actor very much on the rise. He plays a bodybuilder. The amount of physical training he went through as an actor to become this character is unbelievable. But he doesn't succeed, and he can't figure out why he doesn't succeed. So it's really a story of frustration and struggle. Magazine Dreams, written and directed by Elijah Bynum. We have many more films to talk about with John Horn back from the Sundance Film Festival for the first time since the beginning of the pandemic in person in Park City, Utah. We'll continue in just one minute. It's Film Week. I'm Larry Mantle with our John Horn. You also hear him on the podcast Retake and many of the interviews that he did while in Park City, Utah, the Sundance Film Festival. You'll have a chance to hear on Retake as well as right here in the weeks to come on Film Week. John, one of the things notable about some of the directors these movies we're talking about is the diversity of those making the films. Yeah. So two things happened. I was in Park City at the Sundance Festival, and the Oscar nominations came out. Five men were nominated for directing movies this year. Uh, there were a number of women. I would make the argument that Sarah Pauly should have been nominated for directing uh, Women Talking. You go up to Park City, Utah, here are some of the numbers. 94 female filmmakers, 60 feature female filmmakers, 11 of the 12 documentary competition films made by women, Eight of the 12 dramatic competition films made by women, people of color also incredibly well represented. Women of color also incredibly well represented. Um, you don't see that in Hollywood. So this is kind of the Marvel multiverse, uh, the alternative Marvel universe where the normal rules of Hollywood do not apply. And it's great. I made it uh, kind of a point to see if I could do nothing 
uh, but interview people who weren't straight white men, and it wasn't hard. All right. <laughs> Cat Person is next up, uh, which is uh, a dramatic thriller. Amelia Jones, Nicholas Braun star, Susanna Fogel, the director. You might remember Amelia Jones. She had another Sundance movie. It was called Coda, won yeah, the Best Picture yeah, o- Oscar. I seem to remember that. Not quite as fun or nice a movie. This is about a college student who has a relationship with an older man. Uh, it's based on a uh, well-known short story. It doesn't end well. Um, it is a very good performance by Amelia Jones. It's a disturbing film. Um, again, like many like many Sundance movies, not a Hollywood ending um, and certainly some very difficult material. It really does show that Amelia Jones and Coda uh, is a very good and talented actor, and she has a lot of uh, you know great work ahead. Um, again, this is be a, another another movie you'll see soon that it's based on the short story of the same name from The New Yorker. Michelle Ashford adapted it. Cat person we're talking about. Shona Thun, uh, Sundance. Uh, this one I've heard quite a bit about, the comedy theater camp from Molly Gordon and Nick Lieberman. This is a pet project of Ben Platt. You might know him as the star of Dear Evan Hansen. Uh, he's been working with some friends about making this movie. Um, I'm going to cite a Christopher Guest film, Waiting for Guffman, and then another film that very few people have seen uh, starring Anna Kendrick called Camp, which was about a theater camp. This is a very funny movie. I was a theater major in college. I did not go away to theater camp, thank goodness, but a lot of my college acting classes came flashing back to me. Um, It's a very funny movie. Uh, This is another movie that I think uh, is about to get a distributor if it hasn't already. a lot of fun. It really helps if you have been, have been a theater person, but it's not necessary. Theater Camp, uh, again, uh, starring Molly Gordon, who direct <laughs> co-directed it, and Ben Platt. I'm laughing just thinking about it. It's yeah, a very funny well, movie. And I'm guessing this has significant <laughs> commercial potential. It does. It does. Um, in fact, Searchlight bought it. I, I should know that. But yes, uh, Searchlight, part of Disney, bought it. And uh, yeah, I think... Again, I think it'll be in theaters, and I think it's a very enjoyable film. The Disappearance of Cher Hyde, a documentary about um, the author of the bestseller, The Height Report. Uh, I'm old enough, John. I remember she was a big deal in the 70s, and this was quite a controversial book when published. Yeah, and she's such a fascinating character. She was also a model, um, and you know her life story is really interesting, but what's really the most the kind of the center of the film and really disturbing is the way she was treated by men uh the open misogyny that was directed at her when she was talking about her book her books because she wrote many um you know people were uncomfortable talking about sex then still are now and she was very open about talking about you know female body parts um and men were so threatened by what she had to say um that they just directed an incredible amount of hate at her. And it's very difficult to watch, uh, including some journalists. Oddly enough, one of the journalists who champions her is Geraldo Rivera. Back then, he was... (laughs) He was maybe on the the right side of uh, of history, but it was it's a very interesting film about her work and really about how society couldn't deal with it. Um, fascinating film, and Shara Height is no longer alive, but her legacy is rich. And this is a very interesting movie. It says a lot more about 
ourselves than it does about Cher Height. And Nicole Noonham is the uh, director of The Disappearance of Cher Height. Uh, the Pod Generation sci-fi film also starring Amelia Clark. Sophie Barthes is the uh, writer-director. This is a sci-fi movie. I mean, it's fascinating that you can have an independently produced sci-fi movie. Um, I will say in the future, and this could be 20 or 30 years in the future, it's good news. Podcasts have survived. <laughs> I don't know what else has. You know, there's, there's robots that make your food and there's a online, uh, sorry, a virtual shrink. Um, so uh, what this movie is really about is about the commodification of birth. There is a option in the future where you don't necessarily have to carry a baby in your womb. If you're a woman, you can have a pod that is, you know, standalone pod. You can bring it home. You can put it on your coffee table. Your husband can take it around. Um, and there are there is a company that sells these pods. And it's like, a, I don't know what the equivalent would be. It's kind of like an Apple thing. And you can only go back to the Apple store to get it repaired. And they hook you in with a contract. Maybe it's more like a cable TV deal or a gym membership. It has a lot to say about about how we look at our bodies and about birth and about women's control over their own bodies. It could be a thriller. It could be really dark. And it's not. That is something that I think is really interesting about this film. Uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. It's And to see a low-budget movie with kind of futuristic things is is well, quite is, impressive. Is, is it uh, semi-comedic, would you say? Yes, it is. It is. And it and it gets to a point. But so much of it is based on, on real things. Not that we have... Well, according to the filmmaker, there are virtual shrinks, and they were tested at Stanford University, and the students there like them more than real shrinks, but that's why they didn't go to UC Berkeley, I guess. That's why they're at Stanford. The Bod Generation is the film, and uh, we should talk about the horror thriller Birth, Rebirth, shown at Sundance, this uh, directed and co-written by Laura Moss. This is a movie that gave me nightmares. This is a story about Was this a, one of the midnight screenings, yes. John? Okay. It's about it's about a woman whose daughter, um well, like this is not really a spoiler. It happens in the first fifteen minutes her who whose daughter dies. And yet she might not be dead. Um and the way that she might be kept alive is through uh let's just say important things in a woman's body that you might collect through amniocentesis. Um, it is really scary as a parent, as any person who has been in a room where an amniocentesis is done, and you know it's pretty safe, but there's always a risk that you could lose a baby. I was under my chair for those scenes. Um, it's really disturbing. Um, it's it's an imperfect movie, but uh, midnight screening material. Exactly. <laughs> if you if you want to get scared, this is both scary and really disturbing. Uh, so, and that Bir again, that that's going to come out. Birth, rebirth from Laura Moss. John, thank you so much for sh filling us in on all the films that you saw on Sundance. We'll look forward to the interviews with filmmakers and actors that'll be part of your podcast retake. Yeah, and maybe we'll be talking about these movies come Academy Awards a year from now. That sounds good. Retake, by the way, available at las.com or wherever you get your podcasts. A reminder: our 21st annual Film Week Academy Awards preview at the Historic Orpheum Theater, downtown L.A., Sunday afternoon, March 5th. Tickets at las.com slash events. Have a great weekend. Hey, it's Brian, the host of the How to L.A. podcast. How about we go to the movies? 
Join us for a 10-part series, Revival House, and discover the magic of L.A.'s indie theaters. Who knows? You might meet someone. I know it sounds antithetical because you're just sitting passively, but in fact, you're connecting with everyone else around you. Subscribe to How to L.A. from L.A. Studios wherever you listen to podcasts.